Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I can actually see Mercedes running a side pod that looks broadly quite similar to what they're running at the moment, which I think is a good compromise from their car last year, but with more of an undercut at the front to move that inlet upwards and have the bottom part really just let the airflow straight around the car. The world of F1 may be a miss of races at the moment, but that doesn't mean the teams are twiddling their thumbs back at their respective factories. In Brackley, Mercedes are hard at work producing and finessing what we are calling the W14B the heavily revised and updated B-Spec car that the team is hoping will revitalise their season when they bring it to Imola in about a month's time. But that is a long wait. In this episode of the Silver Arrows podcast, we'll be discussing what we think we can expect from the W14B, where it will differ from the current incarnation, and answer plenty of your listener questions. And joining us to do that, we welcome back F1 tech guru, Craig Scarborough. Craig, thank you so much for joining us here on the Silver Arrows podcast again. No, thank you for inviting me back. It's uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, no, we, we always want you back every week, uh, Craig. Last time you were on, we'd only seen one day of the W14 on track. So perhaps before we get into the W14B, we should tackle a few questions that discuss where the W14 has gone so wrong. Jerry Blaney from Twitter asks, is it simply an inability to run close to the ground that is at the root of the W14's problems? Um, as a kind of a headline, yes, that is exactly what, what, is, what is wrong. It's the aerodynamics of the car aren't working close to the ground, and that could be an aerodynamic problem. It could be a suspension problem. I think what we found out over the, uh, sort of the past weeks is that it was actually a problem in the design of the car and the design of the work in the wind tunnel that wasn't calibrating accurately compared with how they were finding it out on track. So, you know, that's quite a big error. You know, it's a big problem to have when you don't have what they, this is what we often call correlation, 
which is where your your predictions in the wind tunnel and in CFD don't match the reality out on track, which often happens with teams. Um, quite commonly, you know, they kind of grow up out of the blue. Um, and, you know, that's really what's happened here. And what it means is that, you know, Mercedes can't get the downforce out of the underfloor of the car when it's super low down because of, you know, the suspension's either making it jump up and down or it's just so sensitive that it's upsetting the suspension. Therefore, what they have to do is run the car higher. And you see the pictures, the Red Bull is kind of right down on the circuit, almost like it's stuck to it, and probably quite literally. Uh, whereas the Mercedes looks like an off-roader in comparison. You know, you kind of got this big strip of air underneath it. And that really ruins the car's performance. And you know, everything else that we could talk about about the car is, you know, just doesn't matter until they get that problem sorted out. And, you know, it's a, it's a big issue to resolve, but they seem to know where the root of the problem lies in terms of these wind tunnel problems. And the only thing we'll know is that as they've now kind of gone back to try and test the car more in the wind tunnel, in a computer, in CFD, and see if, you know, it's something that's an easy fix or, you know, their problems have been there for so long, it's led them down a path that they really have to kind of really reverse up from and almost kind of start again. So we don't know that information from Mercedes at this point, but, you know, obviously the language coming out of the teams from you know, Toto, from the drivers, and even James Allison making a re uh, return appearance on their weekly debriefs, which is you know, fantastic, uh, just shows that you know there is a worry within Mercedes that you know this may not be something you can turn around relatively quickly. Craig, you mentioned CFD in your answer there. What does that mean, and how does it work in the F1 space? So historically, if we kind of go back through history, when teams wanted to test the car's aerodynamics, whether it's downforce or drag or something, they'd take the car out on the track and they would like measure the suspension or they'd put sensors on. Uh, then, you know, like aircraft, you can then put it into a wind tunnel where you have a real car or a model car, and you can again measure the figures coming out from that being tested. And the modern way of doing that is to do it in a complete computer simulation, which is called CFD. Uh, computational fluid dynamics, uh, fluid being the air that's passing over the car. And you, know, you can do things in CFD that you simply can't do with um, a wind tunnel model. You can't go around bends. You can't look inside brake ducts and inside radiators. It's got some advantages. It's got some disadvantages. There's some things that you're so quick to do in a wind tunnel, it's completely ineffective to do them in CFD. So it's just another way of balancing. And all of the teams now have a limited amount of what they call aero simulation, which is, or aero testing, um, which is a, a mix of either their CFD runs or their wind tunnel runs. And, you know, the teams that do better, so Red Bull have got the least, and the teams at the back of the grid, sadly Williams, uh, have got the most, trying to just balance the, you know, the, the scales up between the haves and the have-nots to try and balance the field out. Mercedes are doing quite well. They've got, um, they came third last year, so they get like the third least uh, wind tunnel CFD testing, uh, which gives them a bit of advantage over Red Bull and Ferrari. But uh, obviously there's lots of midfield teams, and I think talk about Aston Martin later, having a lot more tunnel testing than the Mercedes do. So it's all part of this trying to balance the grid up, make everyone as equal as possible in a relatively fair way. You mentioned Aston Martin there, so I think that goes into a natural progression. And that's certainly a team that has nailed the design of their car. Uh, Hubble from Twitter asks, what are the differences in the floor between the Red Bull and the Aston and the Merck? You mentioned Red Bull already almost being stuck to the asphalt. So what's the difference 
differences between those three teams? I wish I could answer it. And I wish Mercedes knew the answer as well. And I'm sure Aston Martin would like to know some of what Red Bull secrets are. It's one of these things, until we can actually get underneath the car, uh, we can't really see. And, you know, unfortunately, despite having some you know, race retirements and bits and pieces over the past few races, we've not seen the cars lifted up to get a proper look. Even then, you know, the difference between a good floor and a bad floor could just be in you know, a slight radius somewhere along the floor. It's not something that you can always look at, point at and go, ah, that's the difference. All we can say is that Red Bull have now got their floor and their suspension because the two have to work in conjunction with each other. Uh, I've got theirs working so much better. Aston, you know, kind of next in line and then Ferrari and Mercedes, you know, kind of quite a step back from um, both of those two, it has to be said. And you know, we just really can't see. I think the one thing I would add to that in, you know, again, I'm sure this will be the next question is side pods don't come into it at this stage. Um, you know, they're kind of secondary. The most important factor in this car is getting the underfloor and the suspension working in unison. And that will be exactly what Mercedes are focusing on. Um, and they probably won't be looking too much at what their rivals are doing. You know, they, you know, they will get um, photographs and they will, you know, look at the data. But you know, they need to find out their own way of getting this floor to work. So it really needs to come from within the team so that they truly understand, you know, the, the performance that they're finding or you know, sadly the performance they may not be finding. So you mentioned that side pods at this moment in time is not important. So what, what needs to come first then? Is it like a, a sort of gate tip, uh, type situation where you have to go through certain gates to get to the get end result? Or is there a certain steps or... Is it all a free-for-all, uh, as it were? <laughs> it's, it's an iterative process. Um, what Mercedes will probably be doing is if you try and change everything on your car concept at once, you can get lost very quickly. And, you know, the Mercedes car concept has got lots of variations uh, from other cars. But if they try and change everything at once, then they don't know what changes actually make any improvements. So what they're probably their first steps will be is to try and understand what, the differences between the floor performance in simulation is from uh, on track and then see what changes they need to make to the shape of the floor, uh, to all of the bits upstream from the floor, like you know, the front wing and the suspension and what have you, uh, and trying to get that to work. As they then try and find a bit of direction there and you know, trying to find what, what looks like it's got the most potential, then they can then start playing about with you know things like you know different um, front suspension designs, which probably may be a bit out of their budget um, and you know, available time this year. Uh, changes to the front wing, changes to the nose, um, and changes to the side pods because they do have an effect on the airflow around the car, particularly at the floor edge uh, and around the rear tires. But it, that's not the primary thing. The problem everyone gets hung up on is you can see the side pods. You can see Mercedes are so different from everyone else. And it's, you know, historically, people have always pointed at the thing that looks the most different and go, that's the problem. Even if it isn't, you know, it could be completely immaterial to the performance issues they're having. Um, that's not to say that I think they can find some performance by changing the side pod concept. But at the moment, I don't think, you know, they could suddenly catch up to Red Bull by having a change that none of us can see underneath the car um, and still run, you know, the same front wing side pods, etc. So um, don't get too hung up on that. That potentially will come either later in the year or as part of um, further development. Looking forward to that further development. Uh, Rapide on Twitter is asking that a million dollar question is, 
saying, I still don't quite understand why the W14 is so draggy or slow on the straights. What is the reason for this? Okay, so the reason for this goes back to the fundamental problem that the car has. So you can't get the underfloor to work. Now, the reason Formula One went to these underfloors, it's one of the key reasons is that they produce very little drag. Um, and that means that you can go very fast with lots of downforce along the straights. Um, the only way that you can compensate from a floor that's not producing your downforce is to add wing, particularly the rear wing. And Mercedes have quite a large rear wing, um, even the sections you know, on the right outboard, which are quite square, if you compare that to the Red Bulls, the wing's trying to make as much downforce as it can. And that will always add drag, which always slows you on the straight. Now we've seen other people with the Mercedes engine, Williams in particular, absolutely fly along the straight sometimes. And you know, that's because they've got a slightly different car philosophy. They've, you know, they've decided not to add the big rear wing. And Mercedes look slow in the straight line because they have to run wing to compensate for the lack of underfloor downforce. And that unfortunately makes their engine look slightly poorer than it would do. But the thing that that does do when you run that bit of extra downforce and therefore extra drag is it helps you look after the tires. And certainly through the second half of last year and has been evident through this year, while you know the W14 does eat its tires up a little bit more than perhaps they would like, Mercedes are really good at actually managing that degradation, managing how they look after the tires through the race to get those podium positions, to get those race finishes that they get. If they'd kind of been a bit more gung-ho with race strategy, then, you know, they, you know, they wouldn't be getting these results they're having. So it's all a case of just balancing the big picture. And yes, it does look like um, they're, they're slow on the straights, but that's not down to power yet. Yeah, Mercedes have always been, in terms of tyre deg, very good at managing all of that and i hope it continues but looking into the future and what we can expect from the w14b uh scarves you mentioned the how we all grown weary of the talk of side pods over the last 18 months or so uh matt vaughan asked which side pod concept will they go for the red bull or aston martin's waterfall one I mean, that's a great question. And, I, you know, again, I wish I could predict this. Um, there's, there's kind of a couple of parts to this. Um, the, the part that you, you're kind of referring to in the question is, you know, the back end of the side pods, how it goes from its highest point and its widest point down towards the back of the car. So Red Bull have quite an undercut side pod all the way back to the car and maybe not so much of a slope downwards, whereas... Uh, Aston Martin, for example, have a really aggressive slope downwards, and then these kind of shouldered side pods, what we call the water slides, going back. I don't see Mercedes following that concept. I don't think either of them, in, in terms of taking a copy of it, um, which they're kind of entitled to take inspiration from. They can't obviously measure things with um, special digital cameras and bits and pieces, but they can certainly follow the idea. I don't think they're going to go quite that extreme. I think they will take some parts of each concept and make a cut slide of ridge side pod that slopes down quite a bit. But for me, the interesting point um, is more towards the front of the side pod as well. And if you look at the inlets for both the Aston Martin and the Red Bull and every other car on the grid, you can see the inlets are quite high up on the side pod and you have this undercut underneath, which allows the airflow to pass outwards, goes over the floor edge, goes back to the diffuser. It's all kind of good aerodynamics. Mercedes have this kind of vertical letterbox opening in each side pod. And that kind of robs the back of the car of this great airflow that everyone else benefits from. So I can actually see Mercedes running a side pod that looks 
broadly quite similar to what they're running at the moment, which I think is a good compromise from their car last year, but with more of an undercut at the front to move that inlet upwards and have the bottom part really just let the airflow straight around the car. So that's what I would predict. Um, but you know, who knows what's in the Brackley wind tunnel at the moment? Uh, I think we'd all love to know that. So I guess the, the, the simple answer is I don't think they're going to copy anyone, but I think they will be you know, wary of some of the solutions other teams have got, maybe just tweak it a little bit and think some of us will then become, you know, again, finger pointy pointing that they've you know, copied something. But I don't think that will be the case. And on that note, Bainesy Ask, no relation to me, has an interesting sub question. He asks, if Mercedes go the Aston Martin Red Bull route on the side pod, do you think they will keep the Ferrari S haunches on top of the engine cover? Craig, perhaps explain for those who don't know what those Ferrari-style haunches are and what they are doing. Yeah, I, I remember seeing this question coming on social media, so I've had a little kind of look just to double-check what we're looking at here. So if we think back to the Ferrari last year, you had these kind of shaped side pods that created what we call the bathtubs, those dips along the side pod. Now, when Mercedes uh, unveiled the W14, you had something quite similar but much higher up. So sort of from behind the driver's shoulders, you can see almost like this double-barreled shape going back down the car with a really distinctive dip in the middle before it goes back up to the shark fin. And Mercedes have been uh, quite, you know, quite open about what they were doing here is that, yeah, the airflow behind the driver's shoulders and all that kind of headrest and halo is kind of like a dead area. Um, and it's very hard to get the aerodynamics working to get the air to come back into the engine cover. So they basically just filled it with a big cooling outlet. And that appears certainly to work for them. It allows you know, the side pod underneath to be much smaller because that's the direction they wanted to go. I think if they do change the side pod philosophy, whichever direction they go, I think they will keep that because I think that's just a, a neat piece of design. It's not too dependent on you know, the side pod shape or the, the power unit or anything. It's just you know, it's a little philosophy that they've brewed up themselves that I think they will keep going. And yeah, I, I see no reason for that to change. You know, maybe they might be able to reduce it a little bit as they understand the car's cooling as we go through the year, certainly as we get through the slightly cooler European season. But I think generally that design will stay on the car regardless. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One big area of, of discussion has been the cockpit position with Lewis Hamilton saying it's, it's just too far forward. Adelaide asks, what kind of updates can solve or improve this problem this season? And uh, when, you, when you were last on the podcast, Craig, you mentioned the possibility of some sort of DAS 2.0. We haven't seen anything yet. I have put my uh, bet at the bookies, but we haven't seen anything yet. But Adelaide is also asking, do you still believe it's in there? Okay, two, two really good questions. Yeah, I mean, Lewis has been quite vocal about the fact that he's not comfortable in not just the W14, but the car that preceded the W13. Um, and he feels he's sitting too far forwards. And he made some great points about how it feels. And I think we all know, you know, when you're driving, you've got to feel what the car's doing. You've got to feel that slide. You've got to feel that sort of acceleration as you go into corners, as you're braking, as you're accelerating. And the driver feels that, you know, in, in various ways, they feel it through the, you know, their body with the seat belts and being pushed against the cockpit. You know, they feel it in their ears with, you know, with your sense of balance. And it's a very subtle thing. And drivers can be quite sensitive to this. Uh, Lewis thinks that he's too far forwards, which means he's not really feeling how much the car's moving at the back, which is, you know, one of his kind of key traits that he can kind of get the car turned in and manage any slides as you go out of the corner. And certainly, you know, it's it's clear that the W13 was a, a slightly, I mean, we're talking maybe 10 centimetres at the most here, but, you know, Lewis feels, you know, in a bad handling car and sitting too far forwards that, you know, he's not getting the best out of it. So, you know, maybe if the car was working better, he wouldn't feel the need for this. And obviously Mercedes haven't yet got to the stage until maybe late last year where the car was working slightly better. So how can they fix this? Well, the best fix is to reshape the car. Um, and that really just isn't possible this year. Um, and the main reason the cockpit's been moved forwards at all, and the reason that it's been very hard for them to have moved it backwards, is all to do with this side pod concept. Now, you know, one of the sort of the much you know, under talked about sort of aspects of the zero pod that they introduced last year, these super skinny side pods, is it's not so much that they've got smaller radiators than everyone else, which is, you know, effectively normally gives you the size of side pod that you've got, but it's they've got biggish, you know, the normal size radiators, but they've been squeezed into the middle of the car. And to do that, you need to squeeze basically the fuel tank area, uh, which sits obviously between the driver's shoulders and the engine behind and it's you know sort of 50 60 centimeters and you've got you know 150 liters of fuel to manage in there now where you put that fuel uh, is really down to you know how much you want to squeeze it so if you could imagine you took the old car that mercedes had and you imagine the fuel tank as a balloon um to get that to be narrower you've got to squeeze it at the bottom and just like a balloon it will get taller and it will get longer and that's what's happened so getting these side pods in has pushed the driver forwards and the only way you're going to get around that is to make a new monocoque and to think about the shape of the side pods that you're doing, which is you know, not something you can do during the season. It may not even be something that Mercedes wants to do next year. Um, the next 
best solution, which is still pretty radical, is actually to play about with the wheelbase itself. And you can't make the car longer now because all the cars are at the maximum wheelbase available and you can't go longer than that, is that you can move the front uh, suspension forwards, um, which means that you need to have an all new nose and front wing, and you need to move the rear wheels forwards, which means you need a new gearbox carrier case, which again is a huge piece of work and not something I think that they can really achieve within the budget cap with everything else that's going on. So I think it may just have to be something that Lewis um, has to cope with through the balance of the year. And obviously they need a frank discussion about, you know, what are they going to do for next season's car? Are they going to, you know, provide a car that means that Lewis doesn't need to feel the back end so much or Put him back in a position where you know he's comfortable with it so big you know big questions to be asked of mercedes here how much they they compromise this year and next um for lewis now the das question um unfortunately the jury is still out on this one so i've kind of you know heard all of these whispers about um it's nothing to do with the steering i hasten to add we just kind of we just hasten das as a, a a clever solution that no one has got at the front of the car and I've been looking for evidence of this, but unfortunately, even though I can get access to lots of you know great bits of television, um, I haven't actually seen the footage that tells me what's going on. So I can't say if it's there or not. I believe it should be there. Um, if it's helping, it's obviously being masked by all of their other problems, which does raise the question of whether they're even risking running this, because I think when it, if it is what I believe it is, and when it becomes out, I think it will be quite a big uh, you know, saga to be discussed whether you know it's um, it's uh, you know what should be on an F1 car, whether it's legal or not, and all these bits and pieces. So I will come back to you with on that one as soon as I've seen the footage that tells me one way or the other, um, or I'll have to hit humble pie and say you know it maybe it was never there. But we'll keep that one on the back burner for later in the season. Scarves, you've got an open door to this podcast, so you can come back whenever you want. Uh, but talking about Hamilton's seat and position, let's let's talk about Russell's seat and position then would it be fair to say that he's having a better time in that seat and position with his performances and with his uh, places as well that he's making qualifying and also in the race itself yeah it's interesting isn't it you know um you would have thought someone with a lot more you know experience like lewis would be you know, much better to cope with some changes but if we look at you know taking the car performance into account you know russell certainly had a better start to you know, last year's season and again this year um you know this, despite the result of the last race unfortunately has had certainly had you know getting more performance out of the car early in its development um now you know i i don't know enough about drivers i certainly don't know enough about george russell to see uh, how that's affected me and obviously he had his problems when his feet physically didn't fit in the front of the car uh, obviously they've rectified that now for him lewis now needs that little bit of extra help um yeah you know it's drivers you know that they, they can be so sensitive to the smallest things and you know, uh, you know even superstitious about things um and sometimes you know it's real and sometimes it's just their perception of the situation but certainly at the moment the way the car's handling uh, it's something that, that Russell seems ever so slightly more on top of. But, you know, very, very long season, huge amount of development to go on that car yet. So we'll see if the you know, the balance changes between the two drivers. And I think that will get quite interesting this year. It's definitely an interesting bit. And you mentioned development there, Scarf. So do you think there are, do you think there are any other 
big areas of development that we should be talking about? Well, I mean, you know, the floor is clearly the first thing. And in uh, the debrief they did after the Australian Grand Prix, uh, you had um, James Allison talking about suspension as well. And this is going to be really interesting because a lot of people are now looking at the Red Bull and they're looking at the Aston Martin. They're looking at the front suspension. And with, with suspension, you've got like the bit that you can see, which are the arms that go between the chassis and the wheels. And then you've got the the clever stuff inside the springs and the dampers, which do a big chunk of the work. Now, on the Red Bull and the Aston, they've got this quite angled front wishbone set up, you know, those arms at the front, which means that when you're braking, it gives you what's known as, and this is a motorcycling term, but also gets applied to, to, to a road car, is you get an effective anti-dive. Now, now, we all know when you brake in your car, the front dips down. And in a Formula One car, what you don't want is the, the front wing and the the underfloor to suddenly change its angle as you're hitting the brakes so by changing the angle of the suspension you can actually prevent some of that dive now it still means that you still get the weight shift forward you know that what we all feel when we brake in our road cars you still get that so it's not about weight distribution but it's about how that ride height changes and red bull aston martin have got quite extreme on this red bull had it last year um some other teams um alfa Romeo, ferrari had it to a much lesser extent um Mercedes have what you could describe as conventional uh, geometry in that area. Now, a lot of people are now thinking, should they follow this direction? Um, and well, there's about two or three questions. First of all, having a lot of anti-dive in your front suspension geometry takes away some of the driver feel from how the car's dipping down, because you're expecting to feel that, and if you don't feel that, the drivers can get confused. Um, so there's that question. You've then got, you know, is that the silver bullet that's going to make their car quicker? I don't think so. I don't think it would hurt their car, certainly, but I don't think this is, you know, certainly one of those big things they need to be chasing after. And then you've got, as everything else is under these current regulations, is have you got the budget and have you got the aero testing time to go out and do this? And I would suggest with all things considered, from what I, I can see of the car, I don't think this is something they need to be chasing down really quickly. Um, they do need to be chasing down much more what's going on inside, playing with the springs and the dampers and how they progress from being you know, soft at high ride heights to when you're at a break-in or you're at high um, roll angles in corners or you're at high speed on the straights, how they progress from being sort of soft springs to super hard springs. And that, that progression is really is kind of key to getting, you know, porpoising and the underfloor performance really under control. So we will never see that work appear unfortunately uh you know you just can't tell from the outside what's going on we know that red bull are quite sophisticated in this area and ferrari equally quite sophisticated in this area so i think that's the other area that will be maybe come some of it will come to light in their, their debriefs and some of their you know their um press conferences just saying about the work they've done to the car elsewhere um engine blow up at the last race uh which kind of came out of the blue um there have been Mercedes power unit failures uh, for them and their customers. As I understand it, um, George Russell's failure in the race was not, how would I put it? It's not an engine failure that was likely to be repeated. It was actually more of an installation uh, problem that led to the engine failing. So if they're a bit more careful with work that they're doing, not to say that they weren't careful in the first place, but maybe change some of their procedures to prevent that failure happening inside the engine and causing you, know, you to uh, lose a you know, complete cylinder and just blow up and set fire to everything. 
I think they should be okay. Um, obviously, George now is one engine down, and almost definitely they will replace the combustion engine. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they he had to run with uh, a new turbocharger and some other bits and pieces um, on that uh, car for the upcoming race in Azerbaijan. Um, that can be done without penalty, but it just means, again, over the entire season, it's one less engine he's got compared with rivals and obviously with, with Lewis himself. So they're probably the two other key areas that will be spoken about over the, uh, the coming weeks, certainly as we reach the uh, Azerbaijan race. At the start of the season, if you would have said Mercedes will change their car concept after six races, you would have been bitterly disappointed. So, Craig, do you think they have messed up here? It's yeah. It would be lovely that I could kind of sugarcoat it, but I think when you look at you know how last season went and how the start of this season has gone with you know, the car performance, the root cause being you know something that's completely under Mercedes control. I think you have to say yes, they have fouled up. Um, you know, quite big time. Now let you know, you've got to put that into perspective. They're still possibly the second, third best team out there. But when you look at, you know, their performance since 2014, you know, they are expecting to dominate seasons. They want to be winning races. They want to, you know, have some certainty that championships are going to come their way. So by their standards, yes, you know, you have to say. And, you know, in engineering terms, the problems that they've got this year haven't come about because of budget caps or regulation changes or any external factors. It's, you know, it's inside Mercedes that, you know, have caused these problems and now that they are talking about, you know, almost a B-spec car, I don't think what you'll actually get is a B-spec car. I don't think that's financially possible or, you know, aerodynamically possible under the current regulations. But it, there will be big changes to the car that you could argue are concept changes. We just don't know how far they're going to go yet this year. But, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, the, the fault lies at uh, Mercedes' door. And, you know, they're working through it. And how much longer... Can the team sustain this performance? You know, they're used to having all of this money to, to, to win. And, you know, all of the people there, are, you know, in their, in, in their big jobs, um, you know, will blame be laid somewhere at some stage? Uh, will there be changes to make sure this doesn't happen, um, that the, the upgrade fails to make sure that the 2024 car, what's that, the W15, works out of the box you know there there has to be conversations going on within mercedes about you know how do they get back on track from where they used to be and um i'd, lo I'd love to be a fly on the wall listening to those conversations and, and certainly i'd love to translate them straight to you guys but um none of us will, will get to hear that but yeah no definitely this is this is you know a big black cloud over the team that they um, they need to get out from over the last couple of years, Mercedes and reliability have just gone hand in hand. So to see Russell with flames coming out of his car was, was an absolute shock to me. But uh, finally, a question on the state of Mercedes moving forward, Scarves, and where you think they will end up. At Gavin Whitaker asks, it's possible, it's possibly too early to tell, but have the cost cap rules failed at the first rule change? And is it now impossible for teams to catch up with Red Bull because no one can spend enough to catch up? Uh, it's an interesting take on the situation to say that they've failed. In, in, in my point of view, they've actually succeeded um, in that, you know, uh, the teams at the back are able to kind of catch up a little bit. And Aston Martin, you know, certainly an example of that. But, you know, all the other cars certainly have 
start to squeeze up a little bit more now. Again, this is only really the second full year of the full aero testing and budget regulations. They kind of came in a little bit beforehand, but didn't really bite. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is the regulations were designed to kind of equalize the field. And if you have to th you think really the problem that you know, certainly Ferrari and Mercedes have had is they've dropped the ball. You know, the regulations haven't hurt them. That's their own engineering problems that have hurt them. And unfortunately, the regulations do inhibit their ability to catch up. Um, is that fair or not? Well, I mean, I suppose it does depend which, which side of the fence you're on in terms of fandom. But if you think about previous years, and you look at the problems Mercedes had last year, what they would have done in a normal season is spend an absolute fortune and hammered the engineering on that car and fought back through the season. So is that fair? Is it fair that they can suddenly spend huge amounts of money that other teams aren't able to in order to catch up? Um, so, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, I think the regulations are doing exactly what they were supposed to. Um, we wouldn't have expected a team to suddenly come out on top in terms of performance so clearly. But as I've said earlier in this podcast is Red Bull are ahead now because, you know, Aston are just starting to find their feet because Ferrari and Mercedes have technical problems. And Red Bull will be pegged back by these regulations in the second half of this year and going into next year. So I think this will shake out. And I think there's just too much talk at the moment about Red Bull dominance. And I don't, while you know, they've won, won every race, I don't think that we're talking so clearly about Red Bull dominance over the whole season. And I think yeah, Mercedes will catch up to them. Um, Ferrari, I'm not so sure about. I don't think Ferrari are in the right place to catch up to Red Bull. And it's certainly looking incredibly vulnerable and when being compared to uh, Mercedes at the moment. And then you've got the big question mark is Aston Martin. It's like, you know, where are they going to go this year? Um, they've made a big jump. And historically, if you think back to their previous teams, you know, uh, Racing Point Force India were a team that were only able to do one big update a year because they just didn't have the budget. Now they've got that budget. They've got all the engineering um, resources behind them at last. Can they keep up this pace? Can, can Aston catch um, Red Bull or will they start to fall behind? And at what point will Mercedes, you know, get close or cross over on that performance curve as the season gets to the end? So I think we hopefully will have a kind of a, photo finish as we go into that last part of the season now I, I was expecting that photo finish to come a little bit earlier in the year when everyone would start to catch up i think because of the problems we've seen since we first spoke pre-season um i think yeah, it's going to take people a little bit more time to catch up but i think they will do over the year and it should be a, an interesting end to the season and shapes then up to a, a classic confrontation for 2024 which you know, uh, maybe if, if Rebel do snatch these titles a little earlier than we would like, 2024, I think, is fair game for um, four teams, maybe, easily. Scarves, I said it before we started recording. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I'm a huge fan of your Twitter feed, so please carry on doing what you're doing because it's amazing. Uh, Scarves, please come back again soon. No, definitely. We've got, we've got updates coming, uh, hopefully for Imola in a few races' time. So maybe we can debrief them once we've hopefully seen some, some interesting visual changes, not just hidden stuff under the car. But I look forward to that. Thanks very much. And that's about it for this week. A massive thank you to Scarves for joining us. There's a link to his social media in the show notes. 
Thanks again for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at MercF1Pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review and share it with your friends. We'll see you soon.